Welcome to an awfully wonderful time. This is your favorite Heartless speaking, and the door has opened to Kingdom Hearts. Welcome to my weekly Kingdom Hearts retrospective show, where we revisit the good, the odd, and the supreme darkness of the Kingdom Hearts series. Now come, open your heart. So we got some pretty interesting and fun little updates. Uh, finally, I did acquire the Kingdom Hearts Ultimania book. Uh, I picked it up at Barnes & Noble. It was about, was it 45 bucks? But dude, <laughs> worth every buck. I mean, looking at this book, if you guys haven't seen it, it's uh, all white, and it's like this nice little silver detail to all the line work. So all the line work is uh, silver, and it's Sora on the main cover. It's him in his, it looks to be his Kingdom Hearts 2 look. And his, so it's about half of his face and half of his torso. And you can see his eye is blue, that's colored. And it says on the front, Kingdom Hearts Ultimania, the story before Kingdom Hearts 3. And then if you go to the back, you see Kingdom Hearts 1, Riku and Kairi, which... Oh, you know what? That would mean that the front is probably Kingdom Hearts 1 Sora then. Because why would you have Kingdom Hearts 2 Sora and then... Yeah, so forget what I said earlier. That's most likely Kingdom Hearts 1 Sora then. <laughs> but yeah, man, this is pretty cool. Um, It was made by Dark Horse, or at least published by Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Square Enix and Disney are on the book as well. But it's like, yeah, Dark Horse did the publishing. And going through it, there is roughly about, let's see, about 250 uh, to 300 some odd pic uh, pages of stuff. And the, the oh man, it looks so good. So it's basically an art book, but it has a bunch of behind the scenes and really descriptive stuff regarding things with the keyblades to the worlds, the stories involved in those worlds. And it breaks it down. So you have the story synopsis and breakdowns of all the games individually and then you have so let me actually go to the glossary here so i can quote this properly but i am so excited to go through this book oh man it's so good so on the front page it has like the kingdom hearts uh titles and it shows you uh when they were released um, what versions of them exist out there from, you know, the standard to the final mix version, etc., etc., And then where they exist in the timeline. So, yeah, I mean, it's not really too hard to figure it out, especially if you um, just play the games. But, you know, for, for newcomers, this is definitely a book to get, especially if you want to know more or you could just watch you know the classic youtube videos of the story so far or actually even better you could watch it on what is it kingdom Hearts 3 that has it if you watch kingdom Hearts 3 you have those bite-sized little snippets of what happened in each game in the movie section of that so there's 
a variety of great ways to experience it all. But if you go to the table contents, it has the character files coming up. So from everyone, including Sora to Riku, Kairi, King Mickey, all the way down to Riku, Replica, Shion, and Larxene, etc., etc. Um, so from what it looks like, it's not all the characters, but they do have character files regarding a lot of the heavy hitters, like also including Maleficent and Axel, Namine. And if I remember correctly, these character files are actually what these characters are thinking and just going through at the time of these recordings. And of course, you know, just who these characters even are, because I've looked into that stuff a little, a little bit here and there. So there's the Keyblade Encyclopedia, one of the things I'm the most excited for because I love the majority of all the key, uh, all the Keyblades. I mean, I don't really. Oh, well, I, I would say that I dis. I, there's a, there's definitely a couple that I dislike as far as the design goes, and maybe their stats are bad. But overall, like I'm always excited when I see a new a new Keyblade has been unlocked, <laughs> even if. After looking at it, I'm like, that, that looks weird. But either way, still fun. So next up, we have the World Guide and then the Enemy Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. So now that I'm thinking about it, the Kingdom Hearts Ultimania is basically you having an official Jiminy Cricket's journal. Because, you know, he's the chronicler, so he has all of this stuff handy. So... It would make sense that technically that's what the Ultimania is. <laughs> oh, that's what they should have did. Imagine if they had the Ultimania design to look like Jiminy Cricket's journal. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love this design here. But imagine if they had the design like on the outside or maybe even on the inside. Like you have the cover as is and then you turn open it up and then like the front and back pages are designed like Jiminy's journal or vice versa i think i said vice versa already but you get the point either way i'm still happy with this so yeah enemy encyclopedia this goes from the heartless nobodies unversed dream eaters final bosses and even secret bosses and side bosses uh now chapter three is the main story playback um oh so that's talking about the actual stories that take place the playback part threw me off. I was really confused there. And then there's the art gallery. Yeah, buddy. So the art gallery is roughly about... What is that? Almost about 100 pages worth of stuff. Roughly. My math is weird. Because it starts at like page 168 and then it goes all the way to 245. So... Yeah, I think I evened that out correctly. I know it's not exactly 100 pages, but that's why I said roughly. Uh, secret movie collection. So I guess it just explains, you know, what was really happening in these movies and just artwork and stuff about it, just talking about what was going on and all that. So that is really, really interesting. And then there's a fold-out poster. Um, so the front is Kingdom Hearts series character correlation diagram. And then the back is the Xehanort experience record. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Interesting. So this poster doesn't look very big, but it's attached to the book still. So I have to actually open it up and take a look. But yeah, I am super excited to go through this and just go over it uh, one day 
as a podcast episode. I think that'd be pretty fun. Um, another update is I do have a couple new uh, Kingdom Hearts manga volumes. Well, slowly acquiring them, I should say. So I have volume three of Kingdom Hearts 1 coming in the mail soon. And I did acquire Kingdom Hearts 3 volume 1 recently. I haven't read three yet. I, I kind of want to hold off until I get to that point, but eh, we'll see. I, I know that from what I've read, I'm a big fan. Like Kingdom Hearts 1, volume 1 through, I think I read just 1 through 2. They were really fun. And volume 1 of Kingdom Hearts 2, I'm just like, dude, that should be the definitive version of Kingdom Hearts 2. As much as I love the game version, what happens in the in the manga? Oh my goodness. Boy, like you, you, you think you got something delicious, and then you see, you see the other plate, the other platter, and it's just there's so much more food on it, it's seasoned better. Oh, my mouth is watering just thinking about. It. I don't even, I don't even have a food imagined. I just think of the platter itself. This is getting weird. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay off that conversation, that part of the conversation now, but. I know in a future on the podcast, that's going to be another um, another segment I want to do. I definitely want to do a review of the mangas. I'm not sure where I'm going to place that. I don't know if I should maybe do... And this is a question to you all, too, um, my listeners, if you guys have any suggestions of how you would like this to be done. If you would prefer maybe finish off the game... Each, each, each game respectively and then go through the manga and kind of do it the same kind of way like each episode is a volume or something like that maybe just like it could be how we handle these episodes or maybe it could just be a review in general either way I think it'll be definitely very fun to go through and I, I know that from what I've seen the manga is a very very fun ride so very eager uh, for now I think definitely holding off until each respective game is finished and then going in there. And then that way it'll give me time to actually collect the mangas because I am very behind. So there's that too. All right. So this is going to be the next continuation of the uh, retrospective for Kingdom Hearts 1 because the last couple episodes, what we did was we had a little buffer of stuff um, talking about what if Sora's mom was a summon gem? Talked about possibilities of her being more included in the story. I'll talk about that too a little bit more if you guys missed that episode. Uh, a little bit more in this episode as a little segue. And then we did another episode where we talked about um, Sora and Riku's storyline after Kitamatsu 4. What that could mean for the series. And talking about it as well like Judge Doom and other heavy hitters in their own respective movies in Disney, what possibility, what kind of roles could they play if they were included in the follow-up to Kingdom Hearts because, or the future of Kingdom Hearts, I should say, because I, I really want to see another round table, another Legion of Doom, if you will, of the Disney villains, you know, all working together in tandem instead of separately as they've typically been doing as of late um, after Kingdom Hearts uh, 2, of course. You know, Maleficent being the one mainly bringing them all together. And then mainly like in two, she doesn't really have a Legion of Doom anymore, but she does 
pay visit to her old friends to some degree and either kind of helps them out as a way to slow down Soren the gang or whatever. She isn't really, but she has a new, she has a different motive this time. So, and plus the previous Legion didn't work. So why would you, you know, want to work uh, again with these people to that same regard? It, I, I get why it's handled differently. And that's why I feel like I, I feel like it wouldn't it shouldn't just be Maleficent who does this sort of thing. But if you want to le- read or listen more about that episode, definitely check it out. Um, episode two and three. And this is being episode four. So pretty awesome um, with the type of things like the type of direction Kita Martz can go. So without further ado, let's jump into this retrospective. And find out what's happening to our boys on Destiny Island and and girl, of course, and our boys and gals at Disney Castle. So I want to think of some segments um, outside of the manga as well. I'm not sure exactly what to add just yet, but one little thing where I think my favorite quote per level would be really cool or world for that matter so for instance for destiny island since we're finishing that up here it's got to be for my boy billy zane as ansem so my favorite quote for destiny islands would have to be one who knows nothing can understand nothing this dude is just nothing but dope quotes i mean it's so hard to choose and we need billy zane to come back seriously i don't care if ansem is no more Bring him back as Pluto for all I care. Instead of like regular barks, it could be Billy Zane and his Ansem voice just saying bark, bark and the occasional darkness. Or, <laughs> But like, you know, maybe like a soft like bark, bark, darkness, you know, something really soft like that. So like no one exactly hears it, but they they know they heard. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, they <laughs> but, um, you know, no one really hears it, but they. They, they hear something. They know they heard something other than just barking. And then they also got to address why the why in the world is this dog actually saying bark instead of barking now. And his voice clearly is different <laughs> now. But I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I think it'd be hilarious. Even if they did it as like a just a little, you know how the, like those old school Pixar movies were where they like with Bugs Life. Oh, excuse me. Where like the end credits would be them revealing they were actually actors and they had all these bloopers and stuff. Imagine if that was like a blooper, blue, excuse me, a blooper. Ah, oh, that would be a really fun thing. Kingdom Hearts having bloopers at the end of each game. It would kind of, it would kind of mess up the, it would kind of mess up the groove of things. So maybe not the credits, but maybe like now that we have the whole movie segment now added to the to the the cutscenes at being viewed from the main menu. Maybe once you beat the game, uh, you can watch it separately in the main menu. So that way it doesn't kind of ruin the, cause let's be honest after Kingdom Hearts three, what, what, what happened? What, what with, wait, with what happened? There we go. With what happened with Sora, it would have killed the mood <laughs> if we ended up watching all these bloopers and stuff right after, or even before the, uh, or even after the end credit scenes. So, yeah, it's. <laughs> I can see why it's not a thing right now. Um, by the way, once we go to the next world, I'll bring up my favorite quote too. Because with Traverse Town, we're gonna 
and be including that in this episode too, since we're going to be finishing up Disney Islands fairly uh, fairly soon. So let's see. We left off with Michael Mouse. Yeah, I'm still calling him Michael Mouse, leaving good old Donald with the responsibility to apologize to Minnie. Like, uh, bro, you couldn't have just written, I'm sorry, Minnie, you know, just just in the letter. It's just that's why I'm calling him Michael again right now, because he's he's tripping again. It's not a good look, Michael. That is an L. That is a major L, bro. You're in the doghouse with Pluto. You know, at this point, Pluto's sleeping in the bed with Minnie. Just like a usual dog will, you know, just sitting like at the foot of the bed or maybe even in a, in a cuddle position. And actually, what does, does Pluto even have a doghouse? I mean, it's a whole castle. So it's a, basically the whole castle is his doghouse because it's all their house. Is, the whole castle is their house at this point. So I don't know because... I didn't see a doghouse in like anywhere when we explored the castle in two, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. Whatever, we're going off subject again. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy, but we, we need an L count. We definitely need an L count for Michael. My man's is getting plenty of them in this series. I think we're going to start off with maybe like three. I think three. If you if you guys want to count at home and let me know what your L count is, let me know because there might be moments that are worthy of an L count for Michael. But I just didn't see it. Maybe I overlooked it. But yeah, we're at we're at three right now. Yeah, but despite this, despite this craziness happening in the letter, Mickey just he he obviously must have went out on his adventure on this journey. I should say overnight before everyone woke up, or just maybe just early in the morning, or really early in the morning. Minnie is very calm despite this, and while Daisy questions what this all means, she simply responds with, we just have to trust the king. And I feel like she's so calm because she's like, finally, I can rule properly deep down. <laughs> but either way, it's just nice to see that Minnie... She's always been supportive of Mickey. I always like that in the cartoons up until now. Like, they've always been so supportive. You never really see them have issues. You know, nothing major. And that might just be because, you know, Disney. But, I mean, Disney has, you know, issues with... Or, let me rephrase that. Disney isn't afraid to have uh, issues in their relationships that they write for these characters. But, you know, since they're basically the mascots of Disney it kind of makes sense that they have the the perfect relationship and I mean if they're king and queen they definitely must be married in this version because a lot of times they're mainly referred to as boyfriend and girlfriend if even but you know it's clear they're together in some way same with Donald and Daisy um and then we just got goofy by himself it's really weird but whatever, whatever happened to that girl Sorry, I keep going off a tangent, but there's so much stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, I, I keep talking about this, too, but whatever happened to Goofy's uh, love interest at the end of a Goofy movie? Wait, was it a Goofy movie? No, it was an extremely Goofy movie. That was the one. That was when they went to college and he ended up dating the, what was it, the librarian? It was either the librarian or he was a teacher in general, and they they really hit it off. So that was kind of cool. But that, uh, yeah, 
the Kingdom Hearts doesn't really reference anything goofy movie wise, but hey, those are our movies. I think I I think I have that written too some at some point in this. Oh yeah, I do. Okay, so there's gonna be another reference to this later on in this uh in, in this little outline I have written here, but yeah, let's carry on. Um Donald assures both ladies that you know they'll they'll do as Mickey instructed. And not only find him, but this this key, whatever this key is that, that uh, Mickey is talking about. And in an interesting turn for the lore, I did not see this coming at all. Minnie has Jiminy Cricket himself accompany these two uh, nutballs as their chronicler. And I know in the manga, Jiminy is actually more involved than in this game. Um, and I, I know he's typically a little bit more involved in a couple of the other games, like Chain of Memories, um, Recoded, and 3. Definitely 3. He's not as much involved in 2. And then, kind of, I mean, outside of that, he's, I mean, the other characters, the other games don't really do much with Sora, so it would make sense that in these other games he would be around more, because he's with that trio but yeah for some reason he's not really as involved in one and two as much as like chain of memories in three but yeah i'll, I'll, get, I'll uh, continue that thought in a little bit here actually it's going to be coming up really shortly so there you go uh let's see so that's why i'm actually more excited to check out the manga too because i know there's some crazy th i mean yeah, there's going to be some uh, really oddball stuff that's going to be happening. But in Kingdom Hearts 1, Jiminy really only has this scene here, one in Traverse Town, and then in Monstro. And that's pretty much it, in, in, in as far as Kingdom Hearts 1 goes. And it looks like he's pretty much tucked away in Sora's hood when they all are doing their thing. And of course, as a chronicler, you know, dude's got a lot of writing to do. So he it kind of it makes a lot of sense why he's not really often interacting because he has to focus and make sure that he's writing everything accordingly and full of description. And if you check the journal, this dude goes in. I mean, he this dude has the statistics for the enemies. Like he has it down to a T how many enemies you have slain under the different types. He has pictures it's, it's kind of cool. Like, I, I always kind of picture Jimmy's journal as more like a scrapbook. Like, he has this little camera. He'll take pictures of all the enemies he fights and just catalogs them all. Like, I would just love to see a little segment of him just scrapbooking and putting this all together. I don't know why. I just, I just need to see this happen. And, of course, in 3, it's a lot easier. But it's just very, very interesting. But I would have I would have loved seeing a gag or two involving the difficulty of him being tucked away and writing this all. And like I said before, he doesn't really get a fancy phone. Like no one really has a phone at all until Kingdom Hearts 3. And by then it would make sense how it'd be a lot easier to catalog stuff. But until then, it's it's obvious this dude's using the classic pen and paper. And of course, as we see in the in plenty of cutscenes you can see the book <laughs> the journals the, the actual uh hardcover uh bound that he uses so actually i think he still has i think he still does use those in three but i think he's converting it to the journal maybe just or to the phone it just has maybe 
digital and physical, which I honestly recommend. So good on you. Good on you, Gemini. He's really making sure he stays with the times and doesn't fall behind like so many. I'm looking at you, Sora. You, you're you're sla you're slipping. You're, you're really slacking with the technology, dude. You you never know how to handle it. And usually it involves violence. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, I always thought it was kind of a bummer we don't see more of him. Like, imagine if during a fight, for instance, uh, Sora and the gang fighting a boss or maybe just some random Heartless or something, and he falls backwards and he freaks out thinking he crushed Jiminy or something, you know, because he hears Jiminy, like, yelp or scream or something, and only to find Jiminy... <laughs> you find out with Jiminy, his pen exploded, and he's just covered in ink. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I, I, oh man, that'd be so great. And I love it when it's time to head out on this journey. For some reason, Goofy tries to opt out. Like, he he low-key is saluting Donald right beside the ladies, uh, Minnie and, and Daisy. You ain't slick, Goofy. Donald catches on real quick and grabs him and literally, literally says, you're coming too. <laughs> Goofy was really trying to get out of that. And... This is the segue talking about uh, Max and them. So this would have been the perfect spot to reference Max. I was curious and looked up when Max first debuted. And technically, this dude debuted back in 1951 as Goofy Jr. And yeah, you know, he actually was later changed and redesigned as Max, who made his official debut as Max in as this iteration as that we know him now in 1992 for the goof troop uh cartoon series now i know what you're saying disney only wants to deal with movies that kind of sucks so much potential out there like with darkwing duck the i can't i'm gonna beat this horse to death not not literally symbolically that's a it, we got a lot of weird symbolic terms like there's only one there's wait what, what was the one so beating a dead horse and then there's more than one way to skin a cat and then curiosity killed the cat there's just a lot of dark references to get the point across what's up with that why is, why do we got so many dark phrases for this stuff but anyway it's it's really cool because we have we have all these different cartoons that would be really cool to incorporate like Hercules animated series, Aladdin the animated series, and uh, Darkwing Duck, Goof, uh, Goof Troop, like some of the characters. And I get it, like especially with Hercules and Aladdin, those movies. I'm pretty sure we're probably not going to see those again. I'm, I'm almost certain we're not going to see those worlds anytime soon. Because if we did, they'd have to do a new original story, which they they do. They they've been doing with a couple different worlds now, but I don't know. But it, yeah, a Goofy movie came out in 95. Tetsuya. Mr. Tetsuya, you are tripping. Nah, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, but seriously, having a scene like that where Goofy goes to say goodbye to a young Max would have been awesome. Maybe even have PJ there because he has to be somewhere, right? Since Pete is technically in exile. He's like in another realm at this point. It's not until... Actually, no, it was at the end of BBS when he was released from exile and he was kind of working with Maleficent behind the scenes. 
up until that, and then we see him officially in Kingdom Hearts 2 as far as Sora and the gang goes. Yeah, because it was like at the end of VBS when Maleficent releases him. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, either way, I feel like that would be cool because, I mean, they're, they're good friends. Why wouldn't Max and PJ be together? So, but yeah, I can't say this enough. Bring Max and PJ into Kingdom Hearts and PJ's mom and Roxanne, especially Roxanne. She's a, so many cool characters, man. And even, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, hey, buddy, that guy. Um, shoot, what is his name? Um, I can't, I can't remember the character's name. But I remember Polly Shore voices him. Such a f- great character. <laughs> I love how in the Goofy movie he literally just brings up. You, you, you guys ever re- notice how we're all always wearing these white gloves? <laughs> and everyone else looks at it like, huh, we do though. Man, I'm all over the place this episode. <laughs> I hope you guys are still enjoying it. I'm trying to keep it as interesting as possible. But either way, back to the plot. And, uh, well, no, I'll, eventually I'll, f- I'll f- bring up more Max stuff because and, and, I want to explore that more and figure out how we could incorporate Max and PJ into the story. And I think as we continue down the, the official story, the official retrospective, I'll bring up more instances like this, uh, just like with Sora's mom being a, a gem too and all that good stuff. So, um, Back to the plot, we find out that Jiminy's homeworld was another victim of the Heartless. How he was scattered from Pinocchio and the others, and to his knowledge, he was the only one who made it to Disney Castle. And here, Goofy and uh, Donald also confirm with each other that they have to preserve the world order by not alluding that they are from another world. Which I always found hilarious. Like, these guys really think they can keep that up when going to worlds like Pirates of the Caribbean, where, you know, generally realistic people live and, you know, they, they don't normally see a talking anthropomorphic dog. Is that the right word? Anthro. I think I feel like I'm missing a syllable or two or something. Anthro something morphic. <laughs> um, what, what, what is Goofy? He's like six foot. And then Donald's like three foot or something. Um yeah, and they're, and they're just talking. They're they have they have human sentience to them, and it's just like whoa. I mean, I know in pirates, you know, you got cursed pirates with that with the Aztec gold. You got Davy Jones's crew. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happened in that world. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can see how they can get away with that. But then you got Tangled, where yeah, I mean, animals are. They, you know, they, they, they can compete with humans and with, with uh, their intelligence, but they don't talk, though. But I guess, I don't know. I just felt like it, it, it'd be kind of funny if it was addressed a bit more, kind of breaking the game's uh, the wall. I, w- I guess I wouldn't really say fourth wall, but maybe that does apply here, technically. I don't know. But... Uh, the only people that I think ever called them out on this too was just Triton from Atlantica, if I remember correctly. But, eh. Uh, so we get ready to... Oh, actually, someone did make an interesting idea, an interesting theory that Donald's magic actually cloaks them all. And for the sake of the game and the immersion, as the player, we see Sora and Donald goofy as they normally are, but the rest of the 
uh, the rest of the world see Sorodano Goofy in these other forms. And we see some of the forms, like with the forms they take in Atlantica, Halloween Town, um, the Pride Lands, etc., etc. Um, for the sake of the you know gameplay changes and uh, a better aesthetic, so we can blend in with the with the world a bit more. But I, I did like that theory that that Donald's magic does that for every world where it's needed. But yeah, no, I mean they they never really address that his magic does that to that degree, like that he does it for every world. It's clear that he does it for some worlds where it's needed, where it's definitely needed, but I don't know. But I still like the theory, but hey, that's just a theory. A game theory. All right. And they, with this, they get ready to depart the castle. Even Pluto comes with them, which is kind of cool, you know. Why not have another, an extra dog, you know, pick up some more sense since dogs are really attuned to that sort of thing. Uh, the design of the gummy ship, I gotta say, is funny. How I love it, but find it really goofy at the same time. Uh, but it makes sense why they designed it that way, um, just for the the sheer innocence of it. And also, because of the customization features, it, it really makes it more streamlined and simple. Um, and if you really like it, if you really take it seriously, you can make some really cool ships especially as the game progresses as you unlock more stuff but if you're more classic you can still keep the design of the og gummy ship the same just with some attachments so whatever type of way you play or maybe you just do it as is because you really don't care either way it's there for you so i thought that was actually really fun um oh wait there was one other thing i wanted to mention with the gummy ship or was it no oh no, no it was with pluto uh there was another theory how pluto <laughs> is actually um there, there's a rumor that pluto is actually well a theory i should say that pluto is just as smart as like goofy or donald or even mickey and minnie but he just chooses to live as a dog because <laughs> he's just weird <laughs> you know some people are just like yeah i mean i identify as this or i identify as that so maybe Pluto doesn't identify as a typical dog. He's like, no, I want to identify as this type of dog. <laughs> I don't know. So people really think he's just like, just this naked, <laughs> just naked dog. As far as like how everyone else has some type of clothing on. <laughs> oh my gosh. That'd be so weird if they like did that. Because uh, we're so used to him being just a regular dog. But it always was weird thinking about the fact that he's a dog like a normal dog that we're used to and then you got goofy and goofy you know just being goofy so it's very odd but oh uh, yeah so let's just go back to the to the plot again before i derail into something else really weird <laughs> um michael mouse the michael mouse shaped doors open this isn't really an l but i'm you know, his insignia is everywhere. But we did address that in the last episode, how it's more like his uh, lucky emblems. So it's kind of a dedication to that, or an homage. So those those doors open, you see the ship path lighting up, and Donald yells, Blast off! 
only for a down arrow to light up and these guys drop down a shaft practically out of the butt of the planet but they don't let this slow them down and they take off well well first after we oh well, i should say they take off after they start freaking out falling you know free falling literally through the planet <laughs> we hear both goofy and donald's classic yells you know the goofy yeah <laughs> i love that it's so good like i just want to shake the hand of all these voice actors and i i wanted i really wanted to be there especially when Go with goofy's voice actor with the first time he ever did that it's probably nah i was i was about to i was about to say it's probably on youtube and i'm like nah it probably isn't like unless they had you know that type of footage they would probably have like kept in the safe and maybe have as some bonus features on um some disney movies or something you know i imagine it's something they wouldn't just have out in the public but now that we now that there's disney plus and that was i don't know if you heard that but that was not a fart <laughs> my wristband was dragging on the table <laughs> i did not fart but who knows maybe you didn't hear that and i just admit it to an awkward sound well it's not awkward because i didn't do it or more so it didn't it didn't originate from somewhere that sounded like that. All right. Uh, what is next here? Looking at the list. So I always chuckle at this scene. Uh, the music, as pretty much all the music, honestly, I really enjoy, especially after Melody of Memory dropped. And that epic, adventurous theme kicks in and they start flying. And this always gives me thrills and goosebumps eager to see where this adventure takes every time that music especially kicks in so after this after we see Donna and Goofy officially embark on this wild journey of sorts we find Sora laying awake in bed probably God, he's probably got Kyrie on the mind we, we can we, we can tell I mean they, they had some really nice bonding you know, maybe, maybe he even has a little bit of Riku on the mind. But we see him actually reflecting on what Kyrie said. Especially one of the last things she said. I just can't wait once we set sail. It'll be great. It was a nice touch, too, having the uh, POV on this model ship Sora had. And that it just so happened to have a dude and a dudette on it. <laughs> Maybe he was thinking about leaving Riku behind. <laughs> but only for this nice little scene to be swept under the rug and rained on by this crazy storm that caught Sora's attention next that was at their little home away from home across the water. Sora freaks out thinking about the raft and immediately takes off. And if you look at this if you look at this storm, just take a look at how many lightning bolts are touching down on the island in the waters. That that storm was looking pretty vicious. I've never seen in real life lightning strike like that. All like within such succession. It was it was I would not be in such a rush to go to that raft. I'll be like, you know what? I don't mind, you know, delaying the trip about a week to rebuild. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I prefer that over, you know, getting struck by lightning. <laughs> but that's just me. So, yeah. 
And with this, uh, he does take off. And it's then that we hear Sora's mom for the first and, unfortunately, the last time calling him down for dinner. Which, like I said at the beginning of the episode, this is a nice little segue for episode two of the podcast where I talk about what a, a what-if scenario of what if Sora's mom became a summoning gem and was the one who trained Sora and Riku to be able to fight like they do. And that'll be another thing I'll, I'll bring up as we go along, just to think of other things she could do. Because I just always thought, if you guys didn't hear that episode, I, I just always thought about having at least one of the trio's parents involved in the story. I think that just would have been a fun idea. Um, so definitely check that out after this episode. But I do plan on returning to that idea. I, I really want to flesh it out. And if you guys have any suggestions, definitely let me know. I, I would love to hear it. Um, especially regarding what it could lead up to in the current timeline, what kind of powers she may have, if any, and what kind of object of power she will. Is she a swordsman? Is she a, I guess it would make more sense if she was a swordsman because of Sora and Riku having their wooden swords, but eh. Um, arriving at the island, he finds uh, Sora finds Riku and Kairi that they beat him there. And the plot continually thickens. Because above the island looks to be this black hole and these giant black ants. They are back. So we get this super dramatic zoom in on Sora's surprised face that makes me laugh because <laughs> it seems, you know, with, with how the camera zooms in and especially at that speed, I always thought, what if it just crash into his face and he's all shm he's all smushed up against it <laughs> i just felt like that was gonna happen and maybe that's why he's scared because of how fast the camera is coming up on him but anyway you find out quickly that while you have your wooden sword it does nothing to protect you from these guys your only choice here is to run so naturally with all this hectic nature happening it, it would make sense to check on the secret place first, you know, that's kind of Sora, Riku, and Kairi's, that's their thing. And clearly, from what we found out earlier, Titus, Waka, and Sophie don't even know about the secret place or to what degree it is and what it means to the other three. Because, as we found out, they were actually going to explore it uh, the day before. So they might, they, they know about it now, but yeah, I, I, it's unlikely that we actually like converse with them about it but i always thought that was actually really cool and it, it would make a lot of sense why that happened and it's strange enough here i this strange door it, it's a fancy looking door which is just like the door we found in the uh the beginning game the at the beginning of the game the, the dive in the heart experience and it's just right there in front of the, the entrance of the secret place. So Sora questions what it's doing there. But a more important question comes up when he finds Riku. Where's Kairi? So Riku simply says, the door has opened. No, 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 it's not Riku. It's, I was just over there. It's closed. But <laughs> seriously, he goes, he wasn't talking about that door. <laughs> uh, seriously, he goes on about how... They can go to the outside world now, now, that they may never see their parents again. And Sora asks again about Kyrie, and 
Riku flat out says she's coming with them. My biggest my biggest question here is why isn't she with y'all now though? I mean, Riku, why you you say she's coming with you, but shouldn't she be with y'all right now? I mean, y'all you you can't tell me Sora is the only one who sees these awfully scratchy big black ants everywhere just terrorizing the island. And I get it at this point, Kyrie was already bodied, but clearly Riku doesn't know, nor would want that to happen, so part of me always figured maybe it was Maleficent, um, who maybe was here briefly and made this deal to bring them to the outside world, but knowing Maleficent, she wanted to see if Riku and company could maybe survive the dark transportation to Hollow Bastion to see if they're even suitable to be puppeteered through the darkness, you know, Maleficent's whole deal. Um, I feel like that was touched on the, in the manga, too. I gotta reread Volume 1 again to see. But, now that I'm thinking about it, heck, maybe it was Ansem as the as the sack boy uh, talk, who was talking to Sora, Sora earlier. I'm pretty sure now that I think about it, I think DDD actually confirmed that through uh, one of the f- many flashbacks as we were finding out how Ansem, uh, Zaynard, for that matter, was doing all the crazy stuff he was doing. But, Either way, I think one of those two would make sense. Probably the Ansem one making the most sense. But if it was him, why wouldn't he just take Riku's body right then and there? So I think it would make the most sense if it was Maleficent. Because when he says the door is opened, it makes me think of the door that's in the secret place. But it didn't really open until Kyrie was, until she was officially bodied, but... I don't know, it might have just been a symbolic term, because, I mean, you know, doors and keyblades, it's a whole lot of symbolism, so, I don't know, he might have just been talking about the overall idea of now we actually can get to the outside world, but how would he know that unless someone told him, you know, so, I don't know, I don't think the, I don't think the game ever, I don't think anyone ever confirmed how he found out about this, or if he's just, or he's just figuring it out himself or just assuming it himself. And clearly Riku does not know what you um, make of yourself when you assume things. <laughs> but either way, I don't know. But I should check the Ultimania. Either the Ultimania will explain it maybe further or maybe there's an interview that I forgot about. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, Riku is very gullible in this game. If you, if, if you guys are... Not aware of that by now. Let me let me reiterate that. Riku's very gullible in this game. So he declares also, I forgot to mention how they may never be able to come back here. And I just found that hilarious because... Oh, no, no, no. Actually, never mind. I was going to say it was hilarious because the island's destroyed at this point. But technically, it wasn't really destroyed until Riku left. And then Sora had his whole issue. And that's when the pretty much the whole world was gobbled up. So, to his knowledge, the world was pretty much intact, and I'm sure if he was aware the world was going to be destroyed, he would have been like, okay, we need to make sure Kyrie's okay. <laughs> it's still kind of weird. He, like, really just was like, yeah, Kyrie's coming with us, but he's like, yeah, I mean, we should probably make sure she's actually with us to confirm that. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like, now that I'm, like, older, I'm looking at this scene like, the, the the cinema sins in me on from you know the cinema sins on YouTube like or I guess cinema or gaming sins I should say the gaming sins in me are having trouble 
passing by this part of this uh, game without giving a couple sin tallies, but yeah, it's whatever. It's not a gripe, really. It's just kind of like, huh, that's odd. But yeah, it's not not a, no, it's not a gripe at all. I'm not trying to uh, be negative about it or all. Just uh, thought I'd point out that interesting thing. But yeah, uh, he also mentions how he isn't afraid of the darkness. A key word, especially huge foreshadowing for how Riku grows over the years. So it's a very impactful, very 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 impactful line for for Riku. You can hear Sora is worried. You can hear it in his voice as he calls Riku. And when Riku reaches out for Sora's hand, Sora does try to reach him. Like, he, he runs a little bit and he stops. And then when he's within reaching distance, he reaches out. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why he stopped, like, right then and there. But maybe he just felt the darkness swelling. Because if I if remember the... Because I was looking... I, just, I was just reading... Or not reading. Wow. I was just watching the cutscene a few minutes ago while I was making this outline and he was running for a bit stopped and then the darkness came up so maybe he just felt it coming and that's why he stopped but I don't know because it's like why wouldn't you stop when you knew you were like in arm's reach unless you saw the darkness come up but yeah I don't know the darkness ends up swelling around Riku first and begins to envelop Sora but right as they're both about to be swallowed a flash of light follows. And might I add, it's kind of interesting with this scene that it actually has more symbolism in it than what I than what we kind of saw in the opening, I should say. Because when Sora, I might be actually be overanalyzing this part, but when Sora reaches out to grab Riku, he's constantly moving, constantly struggling to get to his friend, while Riku is simply frozen in place i mean he has a smile on his face he doesn't even say anything but sora's he, he, he you can tell that sora's struggling to reach riku and he doesn't make an ounce of an effort to even lean forward ever so slightly because you saw sora's hand was literally like an inch away from grabbing riku but yeah he just he just couldn't get to him i don't know I mean, it's almost like the game is saying Riku's place for now is set in the darkness, but Sora is not. Hence, why he's able to still move and... Heck, he may have been trying to pull out Riku himself, realizing there was some crazy stuff going on right now. But, either way, Riku and the darkness are gone at this point. After that, a flash of light happens. Only for Sora to find a large metal gold and silver weapon now wielded in his hand. With the repeated words uttered by the mysterious voice from earlier stating, Keyblade, Keyblade, Keyblade. So it's kind of cool that, since this is confirmed to be Mickey, he senses that Sora has found the Keyblade, and he's like, okay, that's one thing off the menu. Now I gotta find the other Keyblade, so we can lock the door to Kingdom Hearts and stop this crazy stuff from happening. But I always thought it was kind of funny, like Mickey doesn't say anything else to these guys at all until like close to the end of the game. He doesn't bother. But I guess it kind of makes sense because he's he's trying to do his own thing. He finds out where the key is, but it's like you couldn't have told you couldn't have told Sora and them where the key or you couldn't have told Donna and Goofy that the key's over over here. And I don't know. 
But I, I also get it that Mickey couldn't be used too much in the game, so they were probably really limited to um, even using those lines since it was confirmed that that was officially Mickey. But it always just makes me think, like, what if... I always wanted to know, like, what if Mickey was more involved in one? Because I did like his involvement in two, but I feel like in one, he wasn't undercover like he was in two, and, and Chain of Memories even, for that matter, or part of Chain of Memories, and um, onward. So and I know for a, a while he was in the dark realm looking for the uh, Keenum Key D, but I don't know. It just would have been interesting seeing how he would have been. He wouldn't have had to be so secretive because it was the organization. He knew the organization was watching him in two, but in one, it's like he doesn't really know who he's up against. Um, but anyway, once we have this Keyblade, now we can go body these ants. And I always do with the, with extreme prejudice, I might add. Plus, it always felt so epic that this kid fighting these dark creatures on a dark, stormy night looking for his friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus, you never have a bit of, ex you know, extra experience and the occasional droppings of items or the the droppage, the current, the occasional drop of items. Yeah, that makes more sense. But I got to admit, saying droppage just sounds nice. Droppage. Yeah. So mainly like a potion here and there, uh, the occasional lucid shard. But now we can head over to the secret place. And we find that the door opens, and Sora, for some reason, goes from running to casually walking through for some reason. Um, here, Kairi was found by herself at the back end of the secret place, and by that other strange door that has, seems like it's always been there for some reason. She turns to face Sora after hearing him call out to her, and her typically happy and energetic demeanor is gone. Her face saddened and her voice also reflecting that. It sounds drained. She sounds not herself. The door whooshes open with a fierce gust of wind and she is sent flying towards Sora. And what does my man do? He's got his arms wide open like a boss, just ready to grab this lady. Just when he closes his eyes, ready for that embrace, oof. We find out Kyrie had somehow been yeeted, literally yeeted out of existence. She fades away right upon contact with Sora. When I first played this game, all I could think about was, man, this game is going dark. That girl is, that girl's dead. What? But, you know, we'll simply have to just go through the rest of the game to really find out what kind of mess Sora and the gang have really ended up in. Uh, the same gust of wind uh, blows Sora out of the secret place, and then he lands on the little piece of world left. He gawks over the edge into the, into the abyss and turns to see a familiar dreadlocked bad guy. Ready for round two, it would seem. Our shadow is back. I always liked when this guy was a boss, and just fighting him on the last piece of land of Sora's homeworld, and... I guess I shouldn't say that past her, uh, past tense because we fought him as recently with Kingdom Hearts 3. So. And he always seems to be back in a new form and uh, back in a stronger new form than ever. So, But it makes sense too because if this is the... It's kind of meant to represent the darkness or, the, or maybe just the potential darkness of Sora. So it would make sense that as Sora has been getting stronger, so would this darkness. But 
And I always kind of like that. Always uh, thinking about that, I should say. And, uh, I mean, even though he stands in place the whole fight, uh, the, the dark side heartless, his move sets were really cool, honestly, from slamming the ground with his fists, causing darkness to just ooze out, and the heartless, the, the little shadows are just swarming all around trying to attack you, and you can use them to get more health if you're playing, if you're just low on health in general. And then you got these dark embers just firing out of his chest. It's just so cool, man. Um, how his hands and head are his only weak points, I, I, I don't know about that. But, I mean, to be fair, if they if they made his legs also weak points, uh, I, I gotta say, it would look like we're hitting his junk, so or lack thereof. So I, I get it, although that, that, would, that would be really funny, though. <laughs> so after defeating this crazy shadow guy aka dark side as we later find out he is sucked into the black hole above and Sora is holding on for dear life onto some wood and now that i think of it it, it kind of looks like it's uh when i went back to check on that scene i, I rewound it a couple times while making out this outline and it looks like He's holding on to what's left of the raft they were building. I mean, that would make sense, right? It'd be, it actually would be crazy symbolic, and that would be brilliant if if it was like that. You know, holding on to the to the vehicle that or the vessel, I should say, that was meant to transport them to the other to other worlds or bring them, I should say, to other worlds. And lo and behold, they never needed it, <laughs> and he's holding on to it to prevent him from going to another world because obviously who knows what's gonna happen if he was to fly up into that dark abyss in the sky so yeah i really like that idea but unfortunately sora couldn't hold on for much longer as as far as you know what he was trying to do unfortunately as in yeah he's from his perspective he's trying not to die he doesn't know what's gonna happen so yeah he is last seen losing his grip and getting sucked into that same darkness. We then see that Goofy and Donald are in some new duds and in a new town. And I, I, you know, I love these. I love these outfits they got. They're classic. You know, it's it's the classic Donald and Goofy garb for Kingdom Hearts. But I gotta admit, I really love their Disney Castle apparel and. It makes sense for them to be more so in that than what they're in, but I get it. They wore more of their, like, kind of civilian garb, so they don't draw attention to themselves. But then you have the end of Kingdom Hearts 1, where they're wearing their classic Disney outfits, which is, like, basically their true civilian outfits. So, I don't know. I'm like, where? I guess they keep these clothes with them on the gummy ship. That would kind of make sense, right? But... I don't know, I, f- I feel like since, you know, those outfits have more padding, more armor, especially Goofy's outfit, it would make sense that, at least after the first world, after Traverse Town, they would realize, okay, we gotta, we gotta put on the right outfits. <laughs> but, I don't know, I, I get it, it would draw more attention to themselves than what they currently wear, but, eh, that world border can kick rocks at this point, we gotta save, we gotta save lives, we gotta kick butt and chew bubblegum, kick these heartless out. But 
Eh, either way, I get it. Alright, so at this point, Goofy notices a star is going out. And he notices it's going out in the sky and points it out to Donald. And they're both in awe seeing this. And, well, in the letter, Mickey did mention that this was happening. That was initially what caused him to research this more and eventually lead him to the current journey that he's on, and including the others. And it would seem that they just caught Sora's world. It's light, fading away officially. And, you know, I love astronomy, so it's cool to think about the fact that with light, we see, if you look up in the night sky, we can see planets going out or stars going out in general that have been out for countless years prior to, but we're just now seeing it because that's when the light had finally traveled to where we could actually see it. So it would kind of make sense why there's a little bit of a delay with them seeing the light just now going out and Sora, you know, already being in Traverse Town. So, yeah. For you astronomy people out there, I thought that was a nice little touch. Um, they might not, they might not have been thinking that when they when they made it, but I'm glad it's actually kind of accurate. So, uh, with that, let me see what else we got here. Oh yeah, so next up, as they're going through, we see the Traverse Town and the logo. Ah. Uh, so officially, that's when we find out that this is Traverse Town, I should say, by the logo popping up. And I love, love, love the intro to all the worlds and just the logos that they all have. Oh, it's so great. Uh, Donald is already getting grumpy at this point. You know, he, he seemed, of course, you know, seeing the star go out, he instantly says, dude, we got to hurry. So, of course, it kind of makes sense why he's getting grumpy, you know. He realizes that, dude, that that those people are gone. Like, we need to go because who knows how fast these lights are going to be going out and how long it's going to take us to do this. You know, I, I can I can see that Donald's concerned, especially about this. Um, his arms are crossed. He's asking, where is that key? And Goofy already has to remind Donald that they should probably go find this Leon guy. I mean, they're in the right place. They just got to find where he is in this area. You know, the, the one that Mickey had requested to, you know, look for, to, to, to put you on the right track. And Pluto is actually already on some type of trail, and he's sniffing it out. Uh, Goofy tries to tell Donald, but he shuts the poor goof down, saying, ah, What do you know, you big palooka? Sheesh, Donald, I mean, way to talk to your friend, dude. You already got Goofy second-guessing himself, but now you got the you get, you get his poor self-esteem out of whack so bad, he immediately asks, what do I know? Like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> so toxic. But, at least in these moments, he's, he's, if you noticed, he's a lot grumpier, a lot, un, he's very unfriendly when it comes to him in one but when it comes to later games once he really warms up to Sora and other people outside of Disney Castle he he becomes more of a, a warm person but you know he still has his grumpy tendencies to him but I mean that that's Donald at the end of the day so yeah so besides uh, the hate towards Goofy that Donald is uh, expressing right now we gotta we gotta just talk to Donald like 
and make him realize that he's 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 messing up the mission because if only Donald didn't let that stick up his butt guide him like a compass, he might have ended up finding Sora because if he followed Pluto, that's what would have happened. You would have found Sora and that precious key that you were tasked to find. But now I do wonder how would that how would that interaction between them go if they had found Sora before Leon did? And if they had, would Leon have approached them still like that? Like, you know, hand it over the hand over the keyblade now or, or there's gonna be an issue. But and I I do get it that Sora or that Leon was kind of trying to trying to scare him out of no, he was trying to intimidate him, I should say. He was trying to intimidate him into giving the Keyblade to Leon because he was going to, you know, he was saying, they'll come at you out of nowhere and they're going to keep coming until, um, as long as you continue to wield that Keyblade. So he's trying to, like, trying to convince him, dude, just just give me the Keyblade. I know what I'm doing. You're just a kid, you know, that type of deal. But, I don't know. I feel like if that was to happen, I'm sure some Heartless would have, been around because they didn't really take long to appear after Sora was uh, after Sora touched down so I think it would have been inevitable um, and would have lined up just right I think Leon probably would have run into them elsewhere in Traverse Town depending on when when they all met each other well then again they probably they would have met each other in that main square and they would have talked for a little bit but I feel like Donald would have been dismissive because he's like who's this kid who cares we gotta find this key and they wouldn't have known until a, a fight happens where Sora has to take out the key because he, he he doesn't know how to use it but the keyblade often does act on instinct and comes to them when they need it even if they don't really realize it at times so that that's kind of cool that the keyblades do have a sentience to them but yeah um, but since that's not what happens, we'll leave that alone. Instead, what actually happens is Pluto wakes up Sora by licking him and then pounding on his chest. <laughs> you know, just one quick boom. And I mean, like the way he like the way the sound effect goes and the controller vibrates. Dude, it felt like Pluto had caved in that poor kid's chest. It just dude, that controller just goes wild. But hey, Sora awakes and he realizes he isn't dreaming. He tries to talk to Pluto to get an idea of where he is, but Pluto hears Goofy calling and he runs to follow, with Sora not far behind, honestly. But Sora only, well, actually, Sora only ends up losing sight of Pluto, but he still gets his question answered of where he is. He is in another world. And that's where we're going to leave this episode. This was, I honestly wanted to, I wanted to complete Traverse Town in this episode, but it turns out I didn't need to because I'm already at the hour mark. And I want to keep these episodes at about 45 to an hour, sometimes longer than that, depending on the subject. But for the retrospective episodes in particular, I want to keep them to just about an hour length. Um, but let me know if you guys want longer episodes maybe shorter episodes um whatever i'm always down for some constructive criticism some suggestions and uh if you have any questions or just things you want to be brought up in the episode um like uh just random tangents i get on like the whole max and uh pj thing or these um 
the uh, Sora's mom as the summon gem. I, I was trying to think of a name, and I'm like, they don't. They never gave Sora's mom a name, at least not to my knowledge. But yeah, if you ever want to hear more about that uh, outside of what I've already done, feel free to send me a message either like at um, I am dot I escape at um, on Instagram, I should say, or you can shoot me an email at your favorite heartless at gmail.com. And uh, with the subject, your favorite heartless, you can even abbreviate it to um, F or YFH. And I would love to give you all a shout on the next episode and if you have an option to rate us anywhere on the on the podcast uh, website you're listening to i'd appreciate that too and just sharing it in general i know i'm going to be saying this in the outro to every episode but i feel like just having it in the actual episode will help too and help get that call to action out there but yeah i think this will be it for this episode as far as the retrospective i think this was a f- definitely a very fun episode and I feel like I am forgetting something regarding uh something with Donald and Goofy regarding how they were talking to Sora but that's fine I can always talk about it in another episode oh yeah so one way I think we could end the episode on is how if um Kingdom Hearts 1 was to ever be remade because obviously at the moment it's not ideal for that to happen right now because we've gotten um 1.5 then we got those ported from the ps3 to the 4 and then we got the story so far collection and um all these other versions and the uh then the uh, pc people got their versions of all the kingdom hearts games now and so far the only console that's missing out is the switch which is such a bummer because i mean i have the playstation uh, four and three, and I have most of those versions on both. But I, I gotta admit, I'm a sucker for my Switch, and I would definitely rebuy the collection so far if it meant I could play it on my Switch. Kingdom Hearts Mobile again, like the the modernized versions of these games, uh, just mobile. Ugh. It, it's oh man, it is it's it's such a bummer. But I get it; they probably wouldn't be able to fit it all on the cartridge they probably have to do like a, a multiple cartridge deal which would not would would not work out unfortunately but they could do it strictly digital i wouldn't mind doing it strictly digital because some games on the switch have to be digital because they can't fit it all in those little cartridges so maybe they could do that i mean unfortunately on the switch the quality does downgrade but i mean i don't care I don't mind it being a little pixely if it means I can play it on the Switch too. But let me know how you guys feel about that too. Like how how would you? Um, I don't think. No, nah, I was about to say I don't think three would fit on the Switch. But then again, if when you got games like Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey, I'm pretty sure Kingdom Hearts three could fit on the on the Switch. But uh, going to what I was gonna say actually was, if Kingdom Hearts one was to ever be remade like given almost like the final fantasy 7 treatment which i can understand would be controversial because there's so many people that love the way one is and it's just so f- simple and clean but it's not like if they were to make the remake it's not like or remake it's not like if they were to do that they're not saying yes the other one doesn't exist anymore it's just saying no just enjoy 
this remade version, this modernized version again of the game. But yeah, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Maybe like 10 years from now when the games are, you know, not modern anymore. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. I think that if there was ever to be done, um, one great thing to be added would be being able to play as Riku and Mickey. And I think how it would play in is after each world. So maybe after each world, you would play as Riku. And then, you know, as he's doing his own, own thing. So you play a source perspective through the world, and then you get to play as Riku's perspective through the world. Kind of like a the reverse rebirth kind of... No, more like, more like Dream Drop Distance, actually. And, but you don't have to worry about randomly dropping because you run out of time on the character. And then maybe like smack dab in the middle of each world, you play as Mickey with whatever he's doing. Or maybe maybe so it doesn't mess up the pacing as much. Because I might, that'd be a little tricky with the way some of the stories work. So I actually scratch that. So maybe before each world, you play as uh, Mickey in his levels as he's finding the Kingdom Key. And then, you know, and these don't have to be the same length. They can be, they can vary. Like maybe Mickey's uh, story would be a little shorter because most likely he's in the dark realm for the majority of Kingdom Hearts 1, looking for the Kingdom Key D. But with Riku, you have him pretty much on the prowl, just helping Maleficent with whatever he's uh, she wants. So I feel like, He's probably doing. He probably has enough. He probably has as much story doing this stuff or just interacting with the villains as um, much as Sora's story in general. But either way, I feel that Sora would definitely, and the gang would still have the longer storyline, the longer experience. And I think next up would be Riku, and then Mickey. So it'd probably be like maybe 50% of the st of the game is Sora and the gang. And then you have 30 being Riku, maybe 35, and then 20 to 25 would be would be Mickey. So that's kind of a, just, just a random shot in the dark, just kind of spitballing on how they could possibly handle a remake like that. Um, at that point, I would literally be like, shut up and take my money. But since... Finally, in the Kingdom Hearts games, we're getting back to playing as more characters again, besides just Sora and Riku. As fun as they are, ever since uh, 358 over two days, I've been spoiled. <laughs> I've been wanting to play as all these other characters again ever since then. So this would be another great opportunity. But uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to come up like this in future installments, like with 3, how we got to play as so many different characters especially when you count the remind dlc so those type of segments those segues will be they're they're definitely i think they're definitely here to stay so either way we're we're on a very good path as far as getting a chance to play as different characters and even um, but hopefully we see more of perspectives of them outside of um However, the situation is when they're with Sora, because as you typically see, most of these characters' perspectives are similar to Sora because they're right with each other. But it would be great to see these characters' perspectives outside of that, like kind of like how 
we were experiencing it with Riku when we were um, with him and, and Mickey. But yeah, I think you get the point. All right, so this definitely concludes the episode. <laughs> I keep wanting to talk, but I mean, there's just so much fun stuff to talk about. So that's why I'm really glad to have finally started this podcast. And I feel like this is going to be a lot of fun. Even in the drought of Kingdom Hearts stuff, fortunately, I found the right, um, for me personally, I found the right uh, type of content regarding that to uh, do so I can pretty much be square for, or not square, that doesn't sound right. So I could be pretty much set for a while. So, yeah. So, here we are. I hope you enjoyed this episode And here is the curtain call. The door to Kingdom Hearts is closing for now. But never forget, there may be darkness in every heart. But Kingdom Hearts is light. This is the end of side one of this record. Please now turn it over for the second side. Ooh, another chapter concludes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to help support it by leaving a rating, subscribing, and sharing the podcast with others. That way, more people can see it, whether it's from you or in their suggestion feed. And if you leave a review on the show, you'll get a shout out in our next episode. But due to my podcast being available not just on multiple platforms, but multiple countries, to ensure I see your rating, send me a copy either via email or preferably on Instagram or Facebook. Social media, my other projects like I Believe in Monsters, my TikTok where I do art videos and other random stuff, and more are linked in the show notes below. And also, special shout out to Emacs' outro song, Always Love You. You'll find a link to more of his phenomenal work there also. Until next time, my friends, stay A-OK.